Welcome to the Legacy Church online campus podcast. Each week we upload the worship and messages from our online community stream right here as an audio version of those services so that you can be a part of our community wherever you are. In today's episode, we're talking about what to do if God isn't keeping his promise. So stick around for that. But first, let's get into worship. Mountain, you won't climb up, 
coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me There's no shadow, no No shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me Jesus, you are my 
like the wrong reaction to a situation, like without even thinking you do or say something that after a moment's thought just fills you with mortification or even fear. Okay, so bear with me. I have kind of a weird story. I didn't have a smartphone until I was 18. And yes, I know some of you didn't have phones until they were invented, but I digress. Specifically, I didn't have an Apple product. And because of this, I had what I would later diagnose as Apple envy. Because I didn't have an Apple phone, I made it my life's goal to be as anti-Apple as vocally possible. So when a certain cute intern moved down with his MacBook and his iPhone in hand, I chose to tease him mercilessly about it. In fact, it kind of became like this whole thing, a really, really dumb way of trying to get his attention. And I was committed to the bit. I would make fun of his computer and his phone and what I thought were lighthearted and playful ways. Joking about how he was going with the crowd while I was standing unique with my off-brand smartphone. By principle, I declared iPhones were overhyped and not worth the fuss or the money. I was loud about it too. Well, this led to me downplaying every piece of news that came out about Apple and it became my automatic response. No thoughts, just some lighthearted hating. <laughs> then it happened. One night after a service, we were all hanging around, just talking as you do, and someone ran out to tell us the news. Steve Jobs had just died. Without thinking, man, without thinking. 
I just hollered, yes, as loud as I could. And it was pretty loud. <laughs> then it got immediately silent as everyone around me just stared for a moment. Here I was rejoicing at the loss of a life because I let a joke carry too far. Because in all honesty, I let my own discontent at my belongings dig a little too deep inside of me. And it hit me a moment later, what had just happened? Josiah, that cute intern who is now my husband, he looked over at me and he said something along the lines of, really? Thankfully, the conversation moved on as I sat there in my own mortification. I learned something that day. Thinking before yelling the first thing that comes to your mind is a skill that I want to have in my life. Surely, I'm not the only one who has done something like this. I find we often let our emotions train and even dictate what our first response is. If we let it, they can become habits that we just excuse as a just silly little thing we do. We speak out of unresolved anger or tended to hurts and like 18-year-old me, deep-seated discontent. It's that scripture that talks about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our mouth displays what's going on in our souls. And that first response reveals something about us and where we are at in our journey with God. You know, going back for a moment, being content is an interesting thing that I feel gets overlooked in our hyper-driven American lives. The word itself can mean willing to accept a particular thing. But I find that's easier said than done. Accepting seasons of trouble or lack can be a challenge. Accepting the waiting period, oh my gosh. I think many of us have trouble accepting slow cars or checkout lines. But it's another thing entirely when it feels like our entire lives are spent waiting for the fulfillment of a promise and we have to just accept that. You know, there's a person in the Bible who isn't often talked about in churches. Okay, well, that's not exactly true. Generally, her story is told through the lens of another story. Sarah, or at this point in her story, Sarai, can be overshadowed by the man she faithfully stood beside. But today, I want to share her story and see how discontentment and eventually faith affects our lives. We're purposefully taking some time in March and April to talk about the women in the Bible whose stories are sometimes overlooked or just side notes and other more commonly studied stories. We know that all scripture is God-breathed and for instruction and edification of the body, but also I believe these stories are important in and of themselves. There is a rich history of faith that is full of wisdom and truths, but also screw-ups and mistakes. We can see the need for God's perfect love and the redemption of the cross, even in these stories of great triumphs. We can see God move in the middle of human messes over and over and over again. And that's a beautiful reminder of who he still is today. Also, many times God used women to fulfill his plan and his purposes. After all, we are made in the image of God. He said, let us make them in our image. Okay, so disclaimer. We're gonna have to talk about Abram. Well, right now, Abram, a lot to set up some of the background for Sarai. Her story really starts around the time that Abram, who later visits the name-changing office in heaven, is called by God to go out of his homeland and into the land of strangers. Here we get the first glimpse of the promise that will follow Abram and Sarai. So God tells Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verse two, that he will make him a great nation. 
At this point, both Abram and Sarai are already well into their years. There is some dispute about how ages were recorded in the Old Testament, but even in conservative standards, they're still in their late 60s. They are still eating at all the early buffets and they're active members of AARP. But they do have a small problem. They have no heirs, which kind of makes the whole offspring a great nation thing a lot harder. The first thing I want to observe in their story is this. God's timelines never seem to match up with what we want. To the natural mind and to the limitations, rules that I may remind you God himself put into place at creation, if you want to have many, many offspring, you should probably get started pretty young. But here, God gives Abram this promise in his 60s or maybe 70s, and it's still a long while off till we'll see it. It can be easy for us to just flip a few pages and skip a few chapters ahead to say, oh, look, God made good on his word. That wasn't so long. But in truth, living out those in-between years can feel like an eternity. But yet, God is not rushed. God is not slow. He is always on his timing and plan, even when Sarai can't see it. Okay, so Abram and Sarai head out. They have some crazy adventures in Egypt that we don't even have the time to unpack right now, but they leave still with no kids. And then we see God lay out more of his promise to Abram. He tells Abram to count all the stars in this night sky and that his offspring will match that number. Okay, side notes, I find it really funny that when God gives Abram homework of counting all the stars, Abram decides to take the easy way out and just count it as righteousness. Okay, I get you, Abram. I am also bad at math. Jokes aside, here's the thing. They still have no kids. Forget all the stars. They don't even have twinkle, twinkle, little star. So Abram brings this up with God and God basically tells him, yeah, I know, I'm still gonna do it. I'll do it anyway. Enter Sarai's discontent and maybe a little impatience. At this point in the story, she is starting to feel the weight of the promise. I can't imagine how it must have sat on her mind. She sees what God has promised her husband and she decides, well, I guess I'm the one in the way. So she has an idea to jumpstart the promise. She gives Abram her servant as a wife to produce an heir for her. Now that's an important part to note. Sarai is doing this for herself and her family. Let her produce us an heir. So now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go unto my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Sarah's plan worked with some unintended consequences. Hagar finds out that she's pregnant and immediately is no longer acting how Sarah wants her to. She's even looking down on Sarah, perhaps because she now has done what Sarah could not. So. By Sarai's intervention, the promise is fulfilled in a self-effort. 
But the results of our attempt at fulfilling the promises of God can never compare to what God has for us. Self-effort will always further our discontentment with our waiting and leave us with a mess of our own creation. Now Sarai has Hagar and her son and hurt feelings and more mixed up in all of this. But God made a covenant with Abram and is faithful to himself always. So Sarai and Abram's mess is redeemed in the end when they finally leave it up to God. Hagar herself is a fascinating figure and worth a look at. Her story really reminds me that God's love wasn't created at the cross because already he shows her favor and preserves her life. He even goes so far as to keep his promise to Abram about making a nation as Hagar's son will produce a nation too. It's worth reading her story fully in Genesis 16, 17, and 21. Okay, so check stop. We've got a promise from God. We have Sarai's discontent at her physical ability and impatience at waiting. She is focused on all of the lacks, the lack of a son, the lack of age, or I, I guess maybe the too much of age. And now Sarai sees the lack of a solution. Her plan has completely backfired on her, but God will take this mistake and turn it into something beautiful. He now begins to unveil the whole promise to Abram. Well, Abraham, okay, name change alert. It kind of feels a little bit like Oprah here because it's you get a new name and you get a new name and you get a new name. Anywho, now Abraham is the first to hear of God's plan to give Sarah a son. And what's Abraham's first reaction? Laughter. They are old, really old. It's been somewhere between 15 and 30 years since God called them up to strange lands. And now, now God wants to give them a son. So this is where we pick up our story. Abraham has the full promise and is chilling in his tent when he and Sarah received some unexpected visitor. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and look and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Okay, I do think it's really interesting here that the Bible refers to this as the Lord and then as three persons. It's just really cool to see the Trinity pop up. I just find that really neat. Okay, so the household is thrown into a tizzy as Abraham rushes to offer what they can to the Lord. He tells them to rest as he brings out food and water to wash their feet. Sarah cooks up some cakes and they get the best cow. They really took the time to prepare all of this. <laughs> Well, he takes it out to serve the Lord while Sarah stands at the tent flap to listen. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have the pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. <laughs> okay, so Sarah has a Tory moment. She laughs in mockery at the news when she should have rejoiced. She basically is saying, uh, maybe you didn't know this Lord, but I am past my prime and Abraham is knocking on heaven's door. Oh, sure we can. I can't really blame her. Do you 
forgets that it is now physically impossible for Sarah's body to conceive and carry a child. The way of woman wasn't with her. Girl had been through menopause and then some. But that's kind of the point. The promise of becoming a nation was never about doing it in Abraham and Sarah's strength. The promise from the very beginning was God's. He said, he would do it. I will make you a nation. I will bless you. Not, you will be a great nation. It was the Lord's to do all along. And that's the promise, that he would do it. And the really awesome thing here is that God is never limited by our limits. God is the very one who created man and woman, created all of our systems, knows perfectly how they work, and is not constrained by them. Nothing can stop God's promises from being fulfilled, not even the limits of the earth he created. So Sarah laughs, yeah. She thinks, yeah, right, God, sure. Right away, he calls out her heart, calls out the impatience and the discontent, and says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? No, <laughs> no, there's not. Later on in chapter 21, we see the conclusion of this part of Sarah's story. The Lord visits Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have bore him a son in his old age. God even redeems Sarah's laughter. He turned her mocking response into a statement of his favor. And now we see Sarah in the light of faith. According to Hebrews 11, 11 through 12, it says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born the descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. This is Sarah's story. Even after the messes and the mistakes, she considered him faithful who has promised. Let me pray for us. God, we lift up right now any place in our lives where we have seen what you wanna do and laughed because we see the impossibility. Lord, we're so focused on our limitations and our lacks and our uh, strength that we don't even realize we're questioning what you can do. And instead, today we answer the question, is there anything too difficult for the Lord? And the answer is no, there is nothing too difficult for you. You brought forth life out of nothing. And so we just say, Lord, right now, we surrender every place in our hearts that we have held on and tried to solve the, uh, the problems in our own strength, tried to create the promise in our own strength and our own effort. Lord, we hand you our discontent and our impatience and we say, we will trust the one who promised is faithful. In your name we pray, amen. Have you ever had like the wrong reaction to a situation? Like without even thinking you do or say something that after a moment's thought just fills you with mortification or even fear. Okay, so bear with me. I have kind of a weird story. I didn't have a smartphone until I was 18. And yes, I know some of you didn't have phones until they were invented, but I digress. Specifically, I didn't have an Apple product. 
And because of this, I had what I would later diagnose as Apple envy. Because I didn't have an Apple phone, I made it my life's goal to be as anti-Apple as vocally possible. So when a certain cute intern moved down with his MacBook and his iPhone in hand, I chose to tease him mercilessly about it. In fact, it kind of became like this whole thing. A really, really dumb way of trying to get his attention. And I was committed to the bit. I would make fun of his computer and his phone and what I thought were lighthearted and playful ways. Joking about how he was going with the crowd while I was standing unique with my off-brand smartphone. By principle, I declared iPhones were overhyped and not worth the fuss or the money. I was loud about it too. Well, this led to me downplaying every piece of news that came out about Apple and it became my automatic response. No thoughts, just some lighthearted hating. <laughs> then it happened. One night after a service, we were all hanging around, just talking as you do, and someone ran out to tell us the news. Steve Jobs had just died. Without thinking, man, without thinking, I just hollered, yes, as loud as I could. And it was pretty loud. Then it got immediately silent as everyone around me just stared for a moment. Here I was rejoicing at the loss of a life because I let a joke carry too far. Because in all honesty, I let my own discontent at my belongings dig a little too deep inside of me. And it hit me a moment later, what had just happened? Josiah, that cute intern who is now my husband, he looked over at me and he said something along the lines of, really? Thankfully, the conversation moved on as I sat there in my own mortification. I learned something that day. Thinking before yelling the first thing that comes to your mind is a skill that I wanna have in my life. Surely, I'm not the only one who has done something like this. I find we often let our emotions train and even dictate what our first response is. If we let it, they can become habits that we just excuse as a just silly little thing we do. We speak out of unresolved anger or tended to hurts and like 18 year old me, deep seated discontent. It's that scripture that talks about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our mouth displays what's going on in our souls. And that first response reveals something about us and where we are at in our journey with God. You know, going back for a moment, being content is an interesting thing that I feel gets overlooked in our hyper-driven American lives. The word itself can mean willing to accept a particular thing, but I find that's easier said than done. Accepting seasons of trouble or lack can be a challenge. Accepting the waiting period, oh my gosh. I think many of us have trouble accepting slow cars or checkout lines. But it's another thing entirely when it feels like our entire lives are spent waiting for the fulfillment of a promise and we have to just accept that. You know, there's a person in the Bible who isn't often talked about in churches. Okay, well that's not exactly true. Generally, her story is told through the lens of another story. Sarah, or at this point in her story, Sarai, can be overshadowed by the man she faithfully stood beside. But today I wanna to share her story and see how discontentment and eventually faith affects our lives. We're purposefully taking some time in March and April to talk about the women in the Bible whose stories are sometimes overlooked or just side notes in other more commonly studied stories. 
We know that all scripture is God-breathed and for instruction and edification of the body, but also I believe these stories are important in and of themselves. There is a rich history of faith that is full of wisdom and truths, but also screw-ups and mistakes. We can see the need for God's perfect love and the redemption of the cross, even in these stories of great triumphs. We can see God move in the middle of human messes over and over and over again. And that's a beautiful reminder of who he still is today. Also, many times God used women to fulfill his plan and his purposes. After all, we are made in the image of God. He said, let us make them in our image. Okay, so disclaimer. We're gonna have to talk about Abram. Well, right now, Abram, a lot to set up some of the background for Sarai. Her story really starts around the time that Abram, who later visits the name-changing office in heaven, is called by God to go out of his homeland and into the land of strangers. Here we get the first glimpse of the promise that will follow Abram and Sarai. So God tells Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verse two, that he will make him a great nation. At this point, both Abram and Sarai are already well into their years. There is some dispute about how ages were recorded in the Old Testament, but even in conservative standards, they're still in their late 60s. They are still eaten at all the early buffets and they're active members of AARP. But they do have a small problem. They have no heirs, which kind of makes the whole offspring a great nation thing a lot harder. The first thing I want to observe in their story is this. God's timelines never seem to match up with what we want. To the natural mind and to the limitations, rules that I may remind you God himself put into place at creation, if you wanna have many, many offspring, you should probably get started pretty young. But here, God gives Abram this promise in his 60s or maybe 70s, and it's still a long while off till we'll see it. It can be easy for us to just flip a few pages and skip a few chapters ahead to say, oh look, God made good on his word. That wasn't so long. But in truth, living out those in-between years can feel like an eternity. But yet, God is not rushed. God is not slow. He is always on his timing and plan, even when Sarai can't see it. Okay, so Abram and Sarai head out. They have some crazy adventures in Egypt that we don't even have the time to unpack right now, but they leave still with no kids. And then we see God lay out more of his promise to Abram. He tells Abram to count all the stars in this night sky and that his offspring will match that number. Okay, side notes, I find it really funny that when God gives Abram homework of counting all the stars, Abram decides to take the easy way out and just count it as righteousness. Okay, I get you, Abram. I am also bad at math. Jokes aside, here's the thing. They still have no kids. Forget all the stars. They don't even have twinkle, twinkle, little star. So Abram brings this up with God and God basically tells him, yeah, I know, I'm still gonna do it. I'll do it anyway. Enter Sarai's discontent and maybe a little impatience. At this point in the story, she is starting to feel the weight of the promise. I can't imagine how it must have sat on her mind. She sees what God has promised her husband and she decides, well, I guess I'm the one in the way. So she has an idea to jumpstart the promise. She gives Abram her servant as a wife to produce an heir for her. Now that's an important part to note. Sarai is doing this for herself and her family. Let her produce us an heir. 
So now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go unto my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Sarai's plan worked with some unintended consequences. Hagar finds out that she's pregnant and immediately is no longer acting how Sarai wants her to. She's even looking down on Sarai, perhaps because she now has done what Sarai could not. So by Sarai's intervention, the promise is fulfilled in a self-effort. But the results of our attempt at fulfilling the promises of God can never compare to what God has for us. Self-effort will always further our discontentment with our waiting and leave us with a mess of our own creation. Now Sarai has Hagar and her son and her feelings and more mixed up in all of this. But God made a covenant with Abram and is faithful to himself always. So Sarai and Abram's mess is redeemed in the end when they finally leave it up to God. Hagar herself is a fascinating figure and worth a look at. Her story really reminds me that God's love wasn't created at the cross because already he shows her favor and preserves her life. He even goes so far as to keep his promise to Abram about making a nation as Hagar's son will produce a nation too. It's worth reading her story fully in Genesis 16, 17, and 21. Okay, so check stop. We've got a promise from God. We have Sarai's discontent at her physical ability and impatience at waiting. She is focused on all of the lacks, the lack of a son, the lack of age, or I, I guess maybe the too much of age. And now Sarai sees the lack of a solution. Her plan has completely backfired on her, but God will take this mistake and turn it into something beautiful. He now begins to unveil the whole promise to Abram. Well, Abraham, okay, name change alert. It kind of feels a little bit like Oprah here because it's you get a new name and you get a new name and you get a new name. Anywho, now Abraham is the first to hear of God's plan to give Sarah a son. And what's Abraham's first reaction? Laughter. They are old, really old. It's been somewhere between 15 and 30 years since God called them up to strange lands. And now, now God wants to give them a son. So this is where we pick up our story. Abraham has the full promise and is chilling in his tent when he and Sarah received some unexpected visitor. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Namer as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and look and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Okay, I do think it's really interesting here that the Bible refers to this as the Lord and then as three persons. It's just really cool to see the Trinity pop up. I just find that really neat. Okay, so the household is thrown into a tizzy as Abraham rushes to offer what they can to the Lord. He tells them to rest as he brings out food and water to wash their feet. Sarah cooks up some cakes and they get the best cow. 
They really took the time to repair all of this. <laughs> well, he takes it out to serve the Lord while Sarah stands at the tent flap to listen. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have the pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. <laughs> okay, so Sarah has a Tory moment. She laughs in mockery at the news when she should have rejoiced. She basically is saying, uh, maybe you didn't know this, Lord, but I am past my prime, and Abraham is knocking on heaven's door. Oh, sure, we can. I, I can't really blame her. Do you get that it is now physically impossible for Sarah's body to conceive and carry a child. The way of woman wasn't with her. Girl had been through menopause and then some. But that's kind of the point. The promise of becoming a nation was never about doing it in Abraham and Sarah's strength. The promise from the very beginning was God's. He said, he would do it. I will make you a nation. I will bless you. Not, you will be a great nation. It was the Lord's to do all along. And that's the promise, that he would do it. And the really awesome thing here is that God is never limited by our limits. God is the very one who created man and woman, created all of our systems, knows perfectly how they work, and is not constrained by them. Nothing can stop God's promises from being fulfilled, not even the limits of the earth he created. So Sarah laughs, yeah. She thinks, yeah, right, God, sure. Right away, he calls out her heart, calls out the impatience and the discontent, and says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? No, <laughs> no, there's not. Later on in chapter 21, we see the conclusion of this part of Sarah's story. The Lord visits Sarah as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have bore him a son in his old age. God even redeems Sarah's laughter. He turned her mocking response into a statement of his favor. And now we see Sarah in the light of faith. According to Hebrews 11, 11 through 12, it says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born the descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. This is Sarah's story. Even after the messes and the mistakes, she considered him faithful who has promised. Let me pray for us. God, we lift up right now any place in our lives where we have seen 
what you want to do and laughed because we see the impossibility. Lord, we're so focused on our limitations and our lacks and our uh, strength that we don't even realize we're questioning what you can do. And instead, today we answer the question, is there anything too difficult for the Lord? And the answer is no, there is nothing too difficult for you. You brought forth life out of nothing. And so we just say, Lord, right now, we surrender every place in our hearts that we have held on and tried to solve the, uh, the problems in our own strength, tried to create the promise in our own strength and our own effort. Lord, we hand you our discontent and our impatience. And we say, we will trust the one who promised is faithful. In your name we pray, amen. That's a wrap for this episode. Just a few quick notes before we go. Our community stream happens Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on Facebook and YouTube. We are Legacy478 on those platforms and we would love to get to know you on any of our social media platforms. Find us on Facebook or Instagram and leave a comment saying you came from the podcast. You can also join our Facebook community group, see upcoming events, or become a financial supporter by going to legacy478.info. We'll see you next week. Go and be intentional.